now more than ever, we need people to solve bigger problems. Like we have climate change, which is this, this looming doom that's hanging mm-hmm. over us that I think most of the smartest people in the world know is going to make or break humanity. Um, but yet the number of smart people we have working on it, I don't think is as much as we could have. I think it's a people thing, a human capacity thing. When you look at malnutrition, when you look at cancer, when you look at Alzheimer's, whatever problem you want to have, um, I, I just don't think there's enough smart people working on those problems. So then the question is, well, where are those smart people? Well, I have a lot of those friends who are smart people and guess what they're doing. They're working <laughs> at Facebook, making filters for the picture and they're getting paid, you know, a quarter million dollars to do those types of things. And the environments at those places are incredible. You know, free lunch, you get unlimited paid vacation and there's a clear path to there, right? You go to Stanford, you graduate from CS and you get recruited by Snapchat, you get paid a ton of money and equity. And, and I think we have to figure out how do you make the path to making a positive impact in the world as sexy, as lucrative and as clear, right? So if you want to go and, and create self-driving cars that use battery energy that comes from solar panels, What's the path to that, right? Before Tesla, there was no clear path to that. Um, But now Tesla exists, there's a clear path to that. I want to create more people to start companies that solve big problems and start creating paths for other people to go and join those missions, right? In a nutshell, how do we create more Elon Musk in the world, right? Not not the meme god Elon Musk, the the Elon (laughs) Musk that's... That's actually value about to go up. <laughs> yeah, the ones that's solving big problems, yeah. right? Um, and and I think we can. I think we can. We just have to think differently about it. You just heard from Naveed, the founder of TKS, which is a worldwide organization that's committed to creating unicorn people to solve the world's most important problems. Today's episode covers TKS's mission and Naveed's own story of entrepreneurship. It was an inspiring conversation for me, and I hope everyone takes something out of it. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts, Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so starting with the story. So uh, for me my fundamental kind of core core belief is there's not enough smart people in the world working on important things. Okay. So I think as we, as we grow up, the gravitational pull of mediocrity is extremely strong. And as you go through school, as you're in your family, and as you're kind of growing up, you're pulled towards kind of the, the mean, the average. And the reason why I think that happens is because of fear. It's like, if you stick out, if you do something different, you could fail. Like, what if you don't get a a salary that pays you well? You know, what, what about your family? What about this? What about that? What will our friends think? You know, like there's all of these things just pulling you towards mediocrity. And I think one huge thing that's changed right now that never really happened before is um, the, the importance of ability and character and network, those three things, ability, character, and network over almost everything else. And so the concept of a degree and a certificate, I think is losing a lot of weight. You know, 10 years ago, if you graduated from Harvard MBA, you're basically guaranteed a great paying job. I don't think anyone really complained about getting a Harvard MBA and not being able to get a job after that. Whereas Mm -hmm. today, you know, I have a lot of friends that went to 
Harvard and just graduated from um, of the class. And during COVID, it was a struggle. And I had mm-hmm. TPS students who were working at places like IBM and my Harvard friends were asking me for intros to, to companies. And no that's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to see that shift. And so, so when you think about this, right, that, that your character, who you are, your network, who you know, and your abilities, what you're capable of, those three things are, are the things that will get you to where you want to be, right? And I think something that, that counteracts that is the concept of like getting these certificates. Um, and I'm, I'm not against school necessarily. I'm against sacrificing your abilities, character, and network for the sake of getting a certificate um, because it's you think that's more valuable than those other three things, but it's not. And so in the process of getting this certificate and in the process of conforming and, and you know, going down to what a general society thinks is, is something you should do, I think you sacrifice mm-hmm. on doing different things, on being exceptional, right? Because in order to be exceptional, you have to be willing to be the exception. And if you're mm-hmm. not going to be willing to be the exception, you're going to be the average, right? By definition, it, it is the average. And the problem with the average is the average is doing average things, right? They're working on average problems. They're, they're just part of making the world move forward, which, yeah, we need. But I think now more than ever, we need people to solve bigger problems. Like we have climate change, which is this, this looming doom that's hanging mm-hmm. over us that I think most of the smartest people in the world know is going to make or break humanity. Um, but yet the number of smart people we have working on it I don't think is as much as we could have, right? Or when we look at COVID, for for example, the type of vaccines we have, the fact that we don't have a vaccine that could probably defend us against every variant, I think is a derivative of not having enough smart people in the world working on this problem. I don't think it's an Mm -hmm. impossible thing. I think it's a people thing, a human capacity thing. When you look at malnutrition, when you look at cancer, when you look at Alzheimer's, whatever problem you wanna have, um, I, I just don't think there's enough smart people working on those problems. So then the question is, well, where are those smart people? Well, I have a lot of those friends who are smart people and guess what they're doing? They're working <laughs> at Facebook, making filters for the pictures or Snapchat filters or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. And they're getting paid you know, a quarter million dollars to do those types of things. And the environments at those places are incredible. You know, Free lunch, you get unlimited paid vacation. The culture is amazing. Um, and there's a clear path to there, right? You go to Stanford, you graduate from CS and you get recruited by Snapchat, you get paid a ton of money and equity and, and all this great stuff. Um, and I think we have to figure out how do you make the path to making a positive impact in the world as sexy, as lucrative and as clear, right? So if you wanna go and, and um, create self-driving cars that use battery energy that comes from solar panels, what's the path to that? Right before Tesla, there was no clear path to that. Um, But now Tesla exists, there's a clear path to that. And I want to create more people to start companies that solve big problems and start creating paths for other people to go and join those missions. Right. In a nutshell, how do we create more Elon Musk in the world? Right. Not not the meme god Elon Musk, the the Elon (laughs) Musk that's. That's actually value about to go up. <laughs> yeah, the ones that's solving big problems, yeah. right? Um, and and I think we can. I think we can. We just have to think differently about it. And we have to think from first principles. And we have to think mm-hmm. about what do we have available? What tools do we have today that traditional education systems don't use, like LinkedIn, like Twitter, like podcasts, like all these blog posts from incredibly smart people? We mm-hmm. can leverage those things now to educate 
everybody, not just mm -hmm. the few who got into, you know, the best schools who have access to the best speakers. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You touched on so many points there. I think the, the biggest thing it reminds me of is there's that quote from uh, the Facebook engineer that says the best minds of my generation are thinking about how to make people click on ads, right? Which is like, when you think about it, that's such a waste of potential, right? Some of the, the smartest people and the math behind ads is, is insane. Don't get me wrong, right? It, it requires, you know, an insane level of talent and, and uh, intelligence, but what a waste of that talent and intelligence, right? Like what, there's so many different use cases for that. And I think, you know, there's, there's the other quote that from one of my favorite blogs, actually, and I, I love that you mentioned blogs, podcasts, and that sort of thing, because I would say 90% of my education has been from reading that stuff, right? Uh, a very, very small part has come from school, and especially coming into my last semester, it's been it's been pretty much zero. Um, there's this, this blog called Wait But Why. Um, I don't know if you've, you've heard of it. Yeah, Tim Urban. Yes, Tim Urban. Uh, Tim Urban was was the reason I went into software engineering, actually. I read his, I read his blog on uh, picking a career, and that's what kind of led me down the path of software engineering in the first place because I was going to go to med school. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad I didn't go there. Um, and, and he has this, he has this uh, piece where he talks about how, you know, the future has to be willed into the present by the people who are brave enough to do that. And so you're creating those clear paths for people to, you know, not only will the future into the present, but also create paths for other people to do that. Right. Starting those companies, like, now with Tesla, there is a path for people to go and contribute to that mission, right? Without starting, you know, all the overhead of, of actually starting a company like that. So um, I guess my question to you now is, how do you do that? How do you create that clear path, right? You need, you're, you're, you're sort of creating the clear path for people to create other clear paths, but how are you creating that path? So when I was building my last company, Airpost, we went through accelerator programs, Alchemist, Techstars. I also had a lot of friends and YC, AngelPad, just a bunch of different accelerators. Mm -hmm. And I would watch the people around me, even, even our company, go from like zero to millions and eventually billions for, for some of my friends. And the process that accelerators created to you know, actually accelerate these companies from zero to billions was insane. And the things they focused on was mentorship, customers, prioritization, um, all of these concepts that at a, if you actually break down at the first principle levels, the concept of an accelerator for startups, um, you could actually think about how do we retrofit that for people? And so mm -hmm. when we started TKS, my brother and I actually started with the initial concept of like Y Combinator or Alchemist uh, and Techstars. And we're like, okay, how do we borrow the, the best practices from startup accelerators? And how do we create a human accelerator? And how do we get people to impact billions? Similar to how startup accelerators want to get unicorn companies valued at billions, how can we create unicorn people that impact billions one day? And so we, we focused on four main pillars. Um, the first pillar was how do you predict the future? Because as a person, um, you have to be able to conceive of something to actually do it, right? If you don't even conceive of it, it's not even an option. Um, and so we thought emerging technologies was how you'd pre predict the future. And I love mm -hmm. this quote, uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it, right? And so how do we, yeah. help we actually understand what it'll look like so you can go and build it? And emerging technologies uh, is a big gap right now. When you think of blockchain, synthetic biology, quantum computing, AI, mixed reality, um, all of these different areas, there's tons, right? School isn't teaching that. So when you're in mm -hmm. high school, deciding what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is basically that decision when you, when you decide what to do in university. It's like the path you want to you know, mm -hmm. go through for the rest of your life. 
you don't know about anything. You know, there's like five main paths you can really choose from, including like, do I want to be an engineer? Do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to be in business? Do I want to teach? Like there's like very few paths, but Mm -hmm. in the real world, there are so many more options. So the first pillar was emerging technologies. How do we just expose you to the future? The second Mm -hmm. pillar was mindsets because that was the thing that shifted my trajectory in my life. Um, It was when I started thinking differently because when you start by thinking differently, everything else changes. And so Mm -hmm. when you go from Canada to the Bay area or anywhere to the Bay area, you're in a different culture, or at least you were 10 years ago. And the culture there was like, get stuff done, move fast, break things, think 10 X iterate, fail, you know, fail fast, that mentality. And all of those things were, were, critical for the startup ecosystem. And it was critical because that's what enabled people to thrive and companies to thrive. And we thought we need to teach people this earlier so that they don't need to go to the Bay area and Silicon Valley to learn about these mindsets. Like this should just be a a core part of, you know, their, their day to day, they should be exposed to these things early. And so Mm -hmm. mindsets became the second pillar of TKS. The third pillar was real world skills because, in school, we're still teaching kids how to write essays. I've never yeah. seen anyone indent anything in my life. Never. Like after, <laughs> after school, I've never seen an indent. I don't get it. You know, and, and just the, even like saying word count, I need you to write a 2000 word essay. The best blog posts I've read are just concise. They're not like aiming at a certain amount of words. Some of the mm-hmm. best content I've read is Twitter threads. You know, it's, it's crazy how the world is changing. Mm-hmm. The best way people are learning right now is like YouTube videos, but we don't teach people how to create YouTube content in school. Right. So mm-hmm. there's a huge gap. The world's just accelerated so fast and the education system hasn't been able to catch up and it's not their fault. It, that, that's what happens when you have this gigantic system. And so mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily like anti-school. I'm just about, let's realize there's a huge gap here. And how do we fill that gap? And that's what really mm-hmm. we try to do with TKS. And so real world skills is that third pillar. And the last pillar is networks because people are more important than ever. It's all about who you mm-hmm. know, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you know? Because who you know is going to expose you to new knowledge and information, but also new opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, emerging technology, mindsets, real world skills, and networks. Those are the four pillars we have. And we deliver them through a 10-month program throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And we found that that's the amount of time that you really need to have an inflection point in your life to really understand and internalize these four pillars to actually change the trajectory that you were initially going in and and really 10 X yourself. And so we've experimented with one month, three months and 10 months. And we found 10 months is actually that sweet spot there because in TKS, the students are building things. It's not Mm -hmm. like they're coming in once a week for lectures Every week we have sessions and they're solving different problems that don't have solutions yet. They're collaborating with people. They're working on things together. They're discussing things. But then Mm -hmm. throughout that time, like between sessions, they're building projects. They're getting coaching from their directors who, by the way, are extremely smart people. Like these are people who have worked at companies like McKinsey, SpaceX, who have started companies before, who have worked at BCI companies. um, and, Mm -hmm. And they just have a breadth of experience across the board, uh, including even like biotech. So our directors aren't teachers. They're actually just really smart people who for some mm-hmm. reason, like me, get a lot of fulfillment in enabling the next generation and propagating sure. our impact, right? And so um, 
that's kind of, that's kind of how we, how we think about, you know, training these unicorn people through this longer term program, 10 months through these weekly sessions that are focused on those four pillars. And then the cherry on top is creating this global community of ambitious and driven high school kids. Like you mentioned, you know, Adil, right. Your, your roommate's brother. And if you talk to Adil, he'll tell you like he has instant access to like over a thousand super ambitious driven kids. That's amazing. Right. Just, just like that on our, on our, on our platform. And the difference I would say between TKS and most other organizations like MIT or, or YC or whatever is we're not filtering. We're, we're actually building. So that's the difference. We're not looking Mm -hmm. at like grades. We're not looking at what have you done? We're actually looking at what do we think you're capable of doing? So when Mm -hmm. kids come to TKS, one of the things we tell them is you're not here because of what you've done. You're here because of what you can do and what you will Mm -hmm. do. And that's the difference. It is education. It is thinking about new systems to develop people, not necessarily just filter the top people and put them in a space and then, you know, just watch them. It is active mm-hmm. coaching, active training um, for these people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's super cool. I was reading a piece recently on kind of like the payout asymmetry of universities and the university system. And with COVID especially, you know, it's like a, a typical phenomenon when, when there's a recession that more people go to school, right? And so the number of applicants has increased like dramatically um, across the board for all these universities. And the acceptance rate of most of the elite institutions has actually gone down, which means that if Harvard is getting, you know, 10% more applicants and their acceptance rate is going down, right? They're educating a smaller and smaller portion of the world, which is, you know, a travesty. If you have an elite educational institution, you know, that supposedly provides value, you would want that institution to provide value to as many people as possible, or at least, you know, stay proportionally constant. And if anything, it's decreasing. So um, I like TKS's emphasis on, you know, developing people and not filtering people. Cause I think that's, that's one of the, the worst parts about it because, you know, you know, while university might have a payout, that payout is limited to these elite institutions because of the networks you mentioned, right? And part of that payout is the networks of these elite institutions. But when you have such a great filter on it, you don't give people the chance to tap into that. And you don't give enough people the chance to build upon themselves. You're just kind of selectively, selectively, selectively iterating on, you know, a, an increasingly small pool, right? So I guess the question for you is, how can TKS you know, accommodate, like, how do you grow a program and accommodate a program to build on that, to, you know, enable as many people as you can, right? Because you're not primarily filtering, you're, you're primarily focusing on building people. Yeah. Scaling a model like TKS is really hard because Mm -hmm. it's people focused. It's really easy to scale SaaS businesses because you build a product and then you kind Mm -hmm. of just like, you reuse the same code, right? Um, With TKS, it's very different because you Mm -hmm. have coaches. Like we have these amazing directors who give personalized coaching, who do one-on-ones office hours throughout the week. Um, You have these sessions, which are highly interactive. You can't make TKS sessions open to 10,000 people because of how collaborative they are and how much kind of interaction there there is with the director. So that part's tough, but what we can do is, is one, propagate the learnings through the people in TKS. So hopefully like people in TKS, the students, they tell their friends like, Hey, listen to this podcast. Like, have you heard about what's happening here with, you know, cellular agriculture and lab grown meat? Um, So hopefully like that propagates. I think the second thing is sharing our best practices with the traditional education systems. So we talk to a lot of teachers, schools, even uh, like school boards, and we're starting to share a lot of our development principles that we've built from the ground up and shown how it works, right? Because we have alumni 
who are like 21 years old, who have raised mm -hmm. series A rounds from people like Naval and Sam Altman, who are, who are working at BCI companies, who are working at CRISPR labs, and they're leading teams of PhD plus students. We've had the youngest, the youngest uh, kids in the world, the youngest quantum computing engineers in the world are TKS students, right? Brianna no Tisha, uh, and Tommy, like there's at least three of them. And there's, and there's going to be at least 10 more this year coming out who are like 15, 16 years old. There's mm -hmm. a reason for that. It's again, it's not because we've, we filtered for the 14 year old quantum computing engineer. There is no 14 year old quantum computing engineer before, mm -hmm. you know, they come into TKS in TKS, they become that they find their passion there. And the systems we create enable them to do that, which is a structurally unstructured system. So it's not mm -hmm. like school where everyone's learning the same thing at all at any given point. We've built a system to enable flexibility, to enable choice, but then enable guidance and coaching throughout the journeys they choose to, to take part in. So, mm -hmm. so I think right now my, my main um, goal is how do we get more and more ambitious and driven students uh, aware of TKS and then get them to, you know, join the program and unlock more of their potential and then scale both our physical programs and our virtual programs, because we have both, we have programs mm -hmm. in Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver, LA, New York, Boston. And then we also have a virtual program with kids from around the world who are in TKS from like Mexico, Indonesia, Singapore, Ukraine. Um, it, it's, it's nuts. And so, Right now we're at 800 active students. Uh, next year we're pro projecting, you know, a little bit over a thousand active students. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's more of like finding the, the people who actually want to make an impact on the world are in our program. And so that's like, that, I would say that's like another thing that, that we look for. And it's probably the mm -hmm. most important thing. It's like, what do you want before you come to TKS? If you yeah. want to come to TKS, because it'll make you, you know, look better for your Harvard application. It's like, well, you're not going to, you're not going to benefit here, right? Yeah, you're you kind of defeating the purpose. actually want to yeah. grow. It's an accelerator, right? It will accelerate you towards where you want to go. And we're trying to look for people who want to make an impact in the world, who feel like mm -hmm. I can make a change. I just don't know how. And the systems around me aren't teaching me how to change the world, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas TKS is literally designed for that. It's designed for, I mean, what I wish I had growing up because I wanted mm -hmm. to, make an impact on the world. And so what do I wish I had when I was younger to enable that um, even more? Absolutely. Yeah. No, listening to this makes me, makes me wish I had heard of this in, in high school. Uh, Cause this, this just sounds amazing. Like I think the kid I was like, I would have benefited a lot from it. And, and it's just amazing that, that you're like actively seeking out those people. So one thing I want to center in on is um, how are you finding these people? Because I think opportunity needs to be inclusive, right? We need to we need to find more people who are from all kinds of different backgrounds that are willing to work on this stuff. Right. And that stuff isn't, you know, like you mentioned, there isn't a quantum engineer out there. We're not filtering for that because that doesn't exist. Right. They have to become it in the program. Right. So how do you find the people and like, what's, what's your like selection criteria? Like, how does that work? So the people without giving are, away too much. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I can give away everything. Like I, there's no, there's no closed book with TKS because awesome. it's only a net benefit. The more people know about, are, you know, secrets, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a win for the world. For um, sure. So in, in terms of like finding people, they're everywhere. They're, they're smart, driven, ambitious people everywhere. It's not like they're concentrated in a city or in a, a private school or something like that. They're, they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I know because, you know, 
in terms of affluency, over 50% of our students have some form of financial aid from us. Um, last year, we gave out 1.5 million in financial aid because it's not about, can you afford the program? It's about, are you the right fit for the program? And we'll figure it out. Like Tony Shea, um, you know, unfortunately he recently passed away, but he, he amazing, amazing guy started a company called Zappos, which, which sold to Amazon for around like a billion dollars. He mm -hmm. was one of the biggest supporters of TKS and he actually donated a good chunk of money to helping students take part in TKS, especially in the Vegas area, which is incredible. And so they're everywhere. Students are everywhere. And our strategy right now is, is a couple of things. The first one is we host something called TKS Talks. And we basically invite some of the most innovative people from around the world to talk about what they're working on. So we had the head, a director of human-centered design at Apple give a talk. We had the head of the president of UN Women give a talk. We had a Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel Prize winner give a talk. We've had uh, the former head of machine learning at Uber give a talk. And so it's like, let's find these smart people. We had someone at SpaceX give a talk, uh, the uh, lead engineer at Starship. Um, awesome. And so there's, there's all of these smart people out there. And you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a decent network. And so I'm able to kind of find these people to come and give back and, and talk to young kids. And, and we do that for free. And so we love, we love this TKS talks thing. Um, and so we, we put that out there and kids learn about TKS from that and get to learn about these amazing speakers. And if they choose to join the program, great. The other thing we do is we love working with schools and teachers uh, and school boards to share what we do in TKS. We love hosting like mini sessions. We love talking um, and giving talks to teachers and, and sharing how we kind of build our systems um, and the kind of methodologies that we've kind of mm -hmm invented almost, or, or basically like iterated on and developed and tested. Um, so we love doing that. And then they kind of tell their students. And, and then, you know, the other thing is when students tell their friends, I think that's like the best thing, right? Because mm -hmm. you are the average of your five closest friends. And so if we have like really amazing kids in TKS, chances are there's at least one of their friends who's also a great fit for TKS. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's actually one of the, the best ways we've we've been able to get, you know, very driven, ambitious, curious kids. It's because they, they know someone that's like that. Right. And so it, it mm -hmm. kind of scales out that way too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sort of the organic, like word of mouth kind of spreading because yeah, like you said, like the, the people most likely to benefit from it are the people who know the people most likely to benefit from it. Right. So that's really cool. Um, I want to dive deep into kind of like your story and like your experiences coming up, because I think it'd be a really interesting case study actually to like, you know, take, take your like pathway through. And I know you, you went to university, like traditional university, you went to Western. Um, so I think it'd be a really interesting case study to go through and like identify like where TKS could have like landed you if, if you were going through the program. So um, yeah, talk to us about like how, I don't know, like start from, start from high school, start with like, I don't know, I don't know if you thought about this in a long time, but start from high school, go through university experience and, and tell me about like some of the decisions you made and how that, how that might've changed through, through TKS. So I don't know how things might have changed or, or would have been different, um, but I can tell you in high school is when my foundational mindset was built, which is why we built TKS for high school students, because I really think that is the age where you're in your explore mode, where you're in curiosity mm -hmm. mode, where you're building your viewpoint on life and understanding who you actually are and all of that stuff is forming. And it, actually in university, I was like deviating from that and was getting confused at all these different options and, and paths taking me to other places. And after university, I ended up reverting back to my high school mindset 
which was, I want to solve big problems. I want to help people, especially Mm -hmm. in developing countries. And the reason why that was the case is because I had exposure. I I went to Mm -hmm. India, I went to Bangladesh, I went to East Africa, I went to all these different third world countries and I saw how people lived and I saw how they struggled and I saw the disparities, but I also saw the solutions, you know, like it, it didn't need to be that way. We just Mm -hmm. needed someone to do something about it. And there, again, going back to there's not enough smart people in the world working on important problems. Like someone could have done something about it, but either they didn't know about it or they're, you know, doing something else. And so I always knew I wanted to do that in, uh, in university. I I also never optimized myself for, for university. Like, I don't know, Mm-hmm. It ten, take 10 years ago, plus it's been more than 10 years now, but it was very different in high school. Like I wasn't studying 24 seven, getting stressed out. Like there was no anxiety when I did tests or anything like that. You know, it mm-hmm. was, it was high school. Like I, I lived, I had a great life. I had friends, I played hockey outside, you know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. today, which I see TKS students like just working so hard at school because mm-hmm. the the filter bar has gone up a lot, like to get into schools like Stanford or Waterloo, the, the grade bar is so much mm-hmm. higher than before. And I, I mean, I think that's a huge problem because it sacrifices those things I mentioned earlier, ability, character, and networks. Um, but back then it, it wasn't really a thing for me. So, um, I, I just, just applied to one school, which was Western. And I just applied to the pre pre Ivy program, which is like the business program. And mm-hmm. I didn't know why I wanted to do that. It was like, I guess I'm interested in business. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but university, the biggest value of university for me. And, and I think what people get confused on is it's not about the degree. You don't go to university for the degree. And, and that actually changed a long time ago. You go mm-hmm. for the experience and you go for the network. And so what university enables you to do is it enables you to grow, right? Like when you were in first year university living on res, it's just a totally different experience, right? Mm -hmm. There's no like parents asking you where you were, what are you doing? Did you do your homework? What do you want to eat? You know, like that stuff. It's different. You just grow so much as a person and you understand yourself differently. And that in itself is worth every, every penny. I think that first year of university, that ecosystem, that environment, the education is maybe, maybe five to 10%, you know, the classroom Mm -hmm. education, but otherwise it's the people, it's the experiences, it's understanding yourself, all of those things. Um, And so that's what I thought was valuable for university to me. So when I went to Western, I did philosophy, I did Spanish, I did Greek mythology. I just learned a bunch of things. Um, Mm -hmm. I also started working out a lot. I played a lot of squash, you know, I made a lot of friends, a lot of those friends, you know, I, I either work with today or are still some of my best friends today. Um, Mm -hmm. Like one of my best friends in university, his name was Nadim Nasser. And we ended up actually hiring him to build our foundations program, which was for ages uh, 11 to 13 years old, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, was fortunate enough to work with him for two years. Amazing guy, super kind, super smart, you know, again, still one of my best friends. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was because of university where I, where I got to meet him and, the problem is now when you kind of progress through university. So throughout towards the end of university, I was in business school, right? And 
And mm-hmm. all of my friends and my girlfriend at the time, they're all looking at, you know, Wall Street, Wall Street jobs, corporate jobs, getting stressed mm-hmm. about interviews, all of this stuff. And, yeah. and my mindset was just totally different. I was just thinking, I don't want to do any of this. I want to get into tech. Mm-hmm. My brother was doing Next36 that summer, which was, uh, it's like a startup accelerator, but for university kids. And he was in the first cohort and he was one of the youngest kids in that cohort. And that's how I first kind of got exposed to tech by seeing like, oh, that's like what a startup is. And at the time I was working at a private equity firm in my uh, third year university summer. And I was like, this is not (laughs) what I want to (laughs) do. So really quickly, you know, I shifted my whole kind of trajectory from finance and, and, you know, business to startups and technology. Um, And there wasn't much thought behind it there. I didn't know much about it. I just knew like, this is more exciting than finance, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to build things, create things is is something I want to do instead. I don't want to take the conventional path. I'd rather build my own path. And so um, that's kind of what, what led me towards the the startup journey, which eventually, you know, I started live advisors and then AirPost and then sold AirPost to box, you know, publicly Mm -hmm. traded company ran their AI and machine learning team you know, did it, got, got involved in that area. And all of that happened in the span of like less than five years, which is mm-hmm. crazy, you know, for until like what, 20, 21 years old, I was doing the same things as everybody else, but mixed in some travel mixed in with, I would say great parenting. Um, and yeah. then, and then, you know, that startup journey hit. And in that five years, I learned more than the last 20 years of my life. And mm-hmm. that, that was crazy to me. And so when we go back to that initial question, it's like, how could have TKS changed anything? I think it probably would have helped me focus on, help me focus on what I wanted earlier and then just start earlier in that path. And I think mm-hmm. number two is it would have helped me not make a lot of the easy mistakes that I ended up making. You know, mm-hmm. there was so many mistakes I, I made in, in my journey and I had to like fail and figure it out. And I was just like really tenacious and, and I, I just kept going and going and going, which I think is hard for a lot of other people. Like mm-hmm. after so many failures and like no traction and, and all these like things happening, co-founders mm-hmm. leaving, you eventually just want to stop and, and, you know, do the, do the safe thing or do the easy thing. Yeah. Like, nope, the easy thing. Yeah. Just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. But I was like loving it. Right. I was loving it. Cause I was looking at it as experiences and even to this day, I always think of this quote by Epictetus, which is your struggles make you great. And I love that, right? Your struggles make you great because when that's your mindset, anytime you're struggling with something, anytime you fail at something Mm -hmm. and you think of that, you shift your perspective to like, Oh, this is part of my story. Like Mm -hmm. this is a good Mm -hmm. thing because it's actually going to make me better. And I'm going to look back at this and it's going to be net positive at the time failure and struggle and all these things are not great things. Like failure, struggle, those are negative words. When you, if you were to say, is that a negative or positive word? It's a negative word, but mm-hmm. it's a negative word in the short term. But when you, when you think about failure and struggle, and now I said, is that word negative or positive? If you're thinking long-term, it's mm-hmm. like, well, that's a, that's a positive word. Like if you mm-hmm. failed in the past, that's beneficial for you. Cause that's how you learn. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that's something that that kept me going. But if I had all these mindsets earlier, if I knew what the future was going to look like earlier, like I didn't mm-hmm. know what coding was until I was in fourth year university. I didn't know what the difference between back end and front end was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not even like 
Ruby and Python or whatever. Like it was, I didn't know what backend and frontend was. I, at one point I was asking a designer to do the coding work. Cause I thought there was like the same thing, a designer and a developer. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so like, I had no idea. And I don't think people understand like the learning curve that I had to go through. And a lot of people that are doing amazing things today had to go through because they didn't have any exposure early on. There was no one telling them, you know, what the future was like. There's this really great podcast that came out recently with Tim Ferriss and Balaji highly recommend it. And in that mm-hmm. podcast, Balaji is basically talking about like pseudonyms. He's talking about blockchain. He's talking about the future, different predictions. And it's just like handed to you on a silver platter. Here's what the future could look like. And then you go listen to another podcast and another podcast. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've been given the, the future on a silver platter, whether it's synthetic biology, whether it's blockchain or the future of AI, it's there. Now you just have to make a decision. When I was growing up, or even a lot of people today who aren't exposed to these things, they, ha- they don't even have the information to make a decision on, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a zero to one gap. It's impossible to get into blockchain if you don't know what blockchain is. But now mm-hmm. the difference is if you just listen to that Balaji Tim Ferriss podcast, you've, you, you've bridged the zero to one gap and now you just have to make a choice and take action, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. again, 10 years ago, there was no podcast. There was no Balaji telling you exactly like what the future could look like. And all you have to do mm-hmm. is say, oh, I want to do that now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really amazing. It, it relates to something Donish said um, on, on one of our previous episodes where he said that, yeah, like look at all the people in crypto. Anyone you admire in crypto learned about crypto, you know, five to six years ago, like no longer than that. Right. Because crypto is just such a new space. And so once you bridge that zero to one gap, it, it opens up pretty much every, every possibility because it's just a rabbit hole from there, right? It's so easy to learn. There's so many resources out there. There's so many people willing to share their knowledge nowadays. You know, like you said, with YouTube, podcasts, blogs, books, like anything, right? And so, yeah, I think what, what the triggering factor is, is that mindset change, right? So I'm curious to hear, like, what were the biggest works that influenced that mindset change in yours? Like you, you mentioned... Uh, Epictetus. Uh, so I'm assuming you're into stoicism and, and things like that. So what, what have been some of the like most foundational works or, you know, concepts, uh, books, podcasts that have changed your mindset? I think for me, I was always like pretty philosophic growing up. So I didn't know what mm-hmm. stoicism was or who Socrates was or anything like that, but I developed my own kind of mental models in high school, right? Again, going back mm-hmm. to the foundations were in high school and and, I, and, and there was like three at the top of my list at the time. And the first one was be happy, right? That was the first one. It was just be happy. Because I always thought to myself, what's better? To be happy or not to be happy? To be happy. Okay, so I should just do that, <laughs> right? And to me, it was that simple. Like happiness, more or less, has always been a choice to me because I see everything in my life as a choice. Like being on mm-hmm. this podcast, doing TKS, all of these things are choices. And so if, if something bad happens, well... It's, it was a choice I made and now mm. like what next? Right. So I always mm. like had that mindset and it's always like, be happy. Okay. What can I do to be happy? And then also my definition of happiness has been like iterated over the years. Right. So mm-hmm. the word happy means something different to everyone else. Whereas, you know, in, in Greek, you have eudaimonia, which is a very different meaning of happiness, which is mm-hmm. more towards like virtues or fulfillment and meaning purpose, which I align to much more. The second mm-hmm. one I had in my list was no stress. Like don't stress. There's literally no reason to stress. And um, with stress, I do think stress is a choice. I do think so. 
And it could be controversial. I don't know, but I think you can decide not to stress because stress doesn't do anything for you. It's not like there's a lion that you have to run away from. That's where stress originated mm-hmm. from the amygdala triggering cortisol to make us run away from the lion. There's no lion mm-hmm. anymore. The same chemical reaction that people 10,000 years ago got when they saw a lion is the same reaction kids are getting when they're about to write a test in school. That's mm-hmm. stupid. That makes no sense at all. And I do think mm-hmm. if, if you learn to be mindful, control your mind, understand yourself, stress can be a choice, right? Or at mm-hmm. least at least recovering from stress can be much, much faster, right? So that, the second thing was just no stress. And the third thing was um, you never know what's going to happen next, right? Like the worst thing could happen to you. You could lose all your money and, and become you know completely broke. But then next month, something happens and like, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Here's your money back. Like you never know what's going to happen. And so there's mm-hmm. no point in, in thinking anything is permanent because I don't think anything is really permanent. Like things are always in flux and changing and you also have control over a lot of things. And I think if you have developed your character networks and abilities, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can go mm-hmm. from a billion to zero back to a billion. You can go from happy to lonely to extremely happy. You can, you can figure that out. And one thing I like that Naval says is like, uh, I'm probably reframing this, but he talks about how a smart person knows how to be happy. You know, mm-hmm. like something along yes, those. Yes, yes. If you're right? so smart, why aren't you happy? Right. Like, yeah. I, I I remember listening to this. Yeah. And and I I mean I like a lot of things that Naval said, and I aligned with aligned with a lot of them. That's actually what his podcast from the Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish is one of the podcasts that I I make all the TKS kids listen to in the first month of joining TKS um, because it's just so important to hear how he's like framing those concepts, which I think is, again, something that I never have when I was younger. Like, I wish I was in high school listening to like Naval podcasts or whatever it is, you know, to mm-hmm. shape how I was thinking, or at least like give me positive reinforcement to how I was thinking because everywhere else is telling you almost the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And valuing so many different things. Like, I don't think we value happiness as much as we should be. You know, we, when you think about a student today, or even not so long ago, when you were in high school, when you're in your friends, the emphasis was on like your grades in school. The emphasis was on like who your friends were or what people thought of you or how many, you know, connections you had on Instagram or or whatever the cases or the likes you had. It's all these like metrics that you can measure that defined your life success, you know, or, Mm -hmm or who you were or your self-worth, I should say. Whereas like the only thing that really matters is like, what do you define your self-worth to be? And Mm -hmm. just constantly being in control of yourself in your life. And I think that's like so underrated, you know, like Mm -hmm. we should focus on self-awareness and, and self-confidence and happiness in school. Like school is not just a place where you learn about math. It should be a place where you learn about yourself. And I Mm -hmm. fundamentally believe that. And so in TKS, it's based on two things, understand yourself, understand the world. And yeah, we have these curriculums for AI and blockchain. Yeah, we talk about mindsets. Yeah, we do projects with companies like the United Nations and Microsoft and Google. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, it's because it helps you understand the world. And we do talk about philosophies and the self and mindsets because it helps you understand yourself. And so I think that foundation, if we just use that as like, the starting point and how can we measure those two things 
I think we'd be a lot better off as a, as a society, as humanity, if we focused on helping people understand themselves and understand the world better. And by the way, in understanding the world, it also includes understanding other people and working with other mm. people and developing perspective or empathy. You know, I, I think that that falls into that category. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so question for you, how do you define your self-worth when you're getting caught up in something, when you're working really hard, how do you center yourself? And what are the questions you ask yourself to say, Hey, am I on the right track? Am I doing what I want to do? Am I creating a happy life for myself? I, I don't think I, I ask myself those questions in that way. I think it's, it's more of like every decision I make, am mm-hmm. I asking myself, is this something I want to do? Right. Like my mm-hmm. criteria and mental model for making certain decisions or taking certain actions is like framed within my personal philosophies and values. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it, it never really gets to the point where I'm thinking like, Oh, how did I get here? You know, like this it's not is reactive. Awesome. It's proactive. Yeah. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm constantly, I, I just, I know that everything is compounding. Life is compounding and you want to play as many compounding games as possible. And I mean, this is why we also focus on those four things, because those are all four compounding things. Mindset mm-hmm. compounds. You don't just become uh, someone who's resilient. You train resiliency. You don't just have a 10x mindset. You build a 10x mindset, right? And everything compounds over itself. Networks compound. You meet one person, then you meet their friend, and then you hang out with their friends, and, and you have experiences with them, and it compounds, right? Good example. I mean, you mentioned Dana. She's one of one of my best friends and that's a compounding relationship, you know, and, and our knowledge and our friendship and our mindsets have, have all compounded together as well. And I think when you mm-hmm. see the world and when you see life as compounding and everything ties in together and it's based off of decisions um, and, and you have that awareness constantly that like, this is what you're doing right now. Like, Hey, look at us. We're on this podcast. We're talking to each other this is life, you know, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's different. It's just different with that frame of mind. You don't go through it. Like, uh, you know, like a wave is just carrying you like, no, you, it's, right. you're not just sitting Being on a intentional. wave. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, on, on the note of, of best friends, um, something I've been thinking about recently is finding people and like the process of finding people, like not just obviously, you know, TKS has, has finding, you know, candidates for the program, but finding people, um, in, in, in sort of your life. So like, how have you met and, and how do you determine like who are good people to be in your life? Like how do you create that five person average for yourself? Right. And like things like identifying co-founders, right? Like who, who did you start TKS with? Like things like that. Like, how did you arrive at those decisions? From what I've learned, um, you know, working with over a thousand kids in the past few years and my own personal experiences and just listening to other smart people. I think it's less about optimizing for those things and more about cutting the things out that are, I guess, like negatively or inversely affecting those things. So it's not about how do I find the best possible people? I think it's how do I eliminate the toxic people? How do I eliminate the people that are holding me back? And I think focusing on that mindset is much, much more valuable because if you're doing that, you're going to be growing. You're going to be seeking interesting opportunities. You're going to naturally meet interesting people and you're going to naturally end up making those friends. But if you have that one person that Mm -hmm. holds you back, that puts you down, that makes you feel less than you are, that's going to stop you from meeting those other people. That's going to stop Mm -hmm. you from unlocking, 
you know, who you really are in your full potential. And so I think it's really important to constantly be doing, you know, evaluations, 360 evaluations of your environment. Who are the people I'm around? What is the content I'm consuming? What are the thoughts in my mind when I'm in the shower or doing nothing? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the thoughts that pop up? Are those the thoughts I want to have? How do Mm -hmm. I shift my environment? The books I read, the podcasts I listen to, all those things to be aligned with the person I want to become. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think it's more about cutting out the things that don't give me value, whether it's the mm-hmm. people, whether it's like the Instagram channels or, or pages, whatever it is, it's the bad habits. You know, I think it's like cutting those things out, cutting out, you know, sugar, instead of trying to work out every single day for three hours, if you're eating a mm-hmm. lot of sugar, cut that out first, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll end with this, but one thing I really love is one of the Google X moonshot principles, which mm-hmm. is tackle the monkey first, tackle the monkey first. And the concept is an astro teller who used to run moonshot mm-hmm. factory um, talks about this analogy of you're trying to teach a monkey how to recite Shakespeare on top of a pedestal on top of an extremely high pedestal. Don't focus on building the pedestal. That's the easy part. Focus on training the monkey, how to recite Shakespeare. That's the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. So focus on the important thing that makes the, that makes the needle moving impact, the tangible impact, and then you can do everything else. And I think that's the, mm-hmm. that can be transferred to ourselves. What is the thing we can do with ourselves to make the needle moving impact? What's the equivalent of the monkey talking Shakespeare for us, mm-hmm. right? And what's the pedestal for us? And, and like, stop building the pedestal, focus on the monkey. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>